0: Hello Falava. you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, or Koroi Hawkins. Coming up from Huawei Towers in the Solomons to an Australian government-brokered purchase of Digicel in Fiji, we talk with an expert about some of the interesting developments in Pacific telecommunications.
1: They're talking about building 161 mobile telephone towers in rural and remote areas within three years.
0: And we talanoa to Absolutely Positively Wellingtonian Award recipient, Peggy Fairben Dunlop, about the progress and challenges in education for Pacifica peoples in Aotearoa.
2: Children, students we know who are actually leaving school to go to work and get a job so that they can support the family.
0: From the Solomon Islands Huawei deal to the Australian government-brokered purchase of Digicel Pacific and a new player on the scene in Papua New Guinea, there's a lot going on in the telecommunications space in the Pacific at the moment. The latest news, of course, is the Solomon Islands government last week announcing that it had secured a $66 million US dollar concessional loan from Chinese tech giant Huawei to build 161 telecommunication towers across the country over the next three years. The deal has divided public opinion in the country with some welcoming the improvement and strengthening of telecommunications infrastructure and others questioning the return on investment and feasibility of the project timeline. Joining me to talk Pacific Telecoms is Dr Amanda Watson, a researcher in the Department of Pacific Affairs at the Australian National University who is very involved in past and ongoing research on telecommunications in the region. Thank you to for Sidanwete Mifala, Amanda. Starting with the Solomons Huawei deal, has this come as a surprise or was it something that's been in the pipeline for a while now?
1: The particular deal itself, I didn't know that it was in the pipeline, but I would say that Huawei technology is used quite a bit throughout the Pacific in various Pacific Island countries. For instance, uh, the last time that I was in Port Moresby, I saw huge billboards across main roads with Huawei signage advertising Huawei mobile phones and things like that. So whilst this particular deal generates something for us to talk about today, the use of Huawei technology in the Pacific Islands region isn't something new in and of itself.
0: Now, there's not much information about the deal, but but on on face value, the things that we've heard so far, what what are your thoughts on on the amount about 66 million US and about 161 towers over the the course of the next wee while. Is is that sort of in the realm of, of what's normally been broken with these kind of agreements?
1: So I know that there are places in Solomon Islands with no mobile network coverage or very limited, unreliable, weak mobile network coverage. So in general, I would be happy about any initiatives that would seek to increase mobile network coverage for communities that don't currently have reliable uh Coverage and that obviously is because of things such as medical emergencies, natural disasters and other kinds of things where a telephone call could literally save someone's life and also in day-to-day life people often tend to use mobile phones for communication with loved ones for maintaining relationships when they move away for instance for school or work so i think that in general i'm happy about the idea of mobile network coverage increasing and i think it's a good thing if governments look at that and if donors want to support that however in this particular case i do have a few concerns you mentioned the amount of money. Obviously, that's a lot of money. Telecommunications infrastructure does tend to cost quite a lot of money. Uh, And in this particular case, rather than it being a gift, which it might have been if it had come from perhaps another donor or something like that, in this case, it's a loan. And yes, I'm aware that it's a concessional interest rate, quite a low interest rate. Nonetheless, it does still mean that this large amount of money needs to be paid back. And so that is one of the concerns that I do have about this arrangement.
0: Now, they're selling it like one of the, one of the sales, sales pitches sort of from the government is that, you know, we'll, we'll have some of these towers up by next year for the Pacific Games, people will be able to, you know, to be able to 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 see and experience the games from the villages without travelling to to honiara but it seems like what's your what's your view on the i guess the the re- the rhetoric around the press releases around the the language being used as to i guess alleviate concerns about the loan and the size of the loan that are also being raised in solomon islands
1: in your question, you also referred to the timeframe, and I would say that I have some concerns about the timeframe. So they're talking about building 161 mobile telephone towers in rural and remote areas within three years, and this does seem ambitious to me, given that the uh, there has been, in fact, there have been two mobile network operators in Solomon Islands for quite a number of years now, and they haven't been able to. Uh, develop a business case for establishing network coverage in those locations. And so I think it does seem ambitious that the government with uh, the support of this loan would be able to build so many towers in three years, particularly given that they will need to negotiate with local landowners at each and every one of those mobile telephone tower sites. So that is something that's quite difficult, it could take time, it's not necessarily easy to negotiate access to communally owned land, which most or all of this land would be, and so uh, there's other parts of your question we could get to, but certainly as with regard to the time frame, it does seem ambitious to me.
0: Uh, I also want to talk a bit, looking a bit wider afield, Huawei Solomons is the latest thing, but there've been a few movements in, 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 in the last wee while in terms of telecommunications ownership and changes um what are some of the big ones that have have taken place in the in the over the course of the past year and further even
1: yes well there are a, a few things going on as you say In Solomon Islands, there are two mobile telecommunication companies, two mobile network operators. One of them is going to be given access to these new towers that we've been talking about. The other one is a company called B-Mobile, which operates in Solomon Islands and Papua New Guinea. And given what the government of Solomon Islands has said thus far, it appears that B-Mobile won't have access to the towers that they're going to be building. Uh, I would think... Think that if they could come to a tower sharing arrangement which could be regulated as i understand and enforced by a regulator through uh, some sort of infrastructure sharing requirement that would increase the benefits to locals and because it would mean that people in certain villages would have access to two different mobile networks and it would increase the competition between the two carriers and so on so um This new deal, if it stays as it is, will disadvantage B-Mobile. Meanwhile, B-Mobile in Papua New Guinea is going through a merger with the government telecommunication company called Telecom PNG. And so B-Mobile is sort of being hit on both fronts in both of the countries where it operates. Uh, So that's one of the things that's been going on. In other developments, there's a new mobile network company establishing itself in Papua New Guinea at this time. That is Amalgamated Telecom Holdings, which is a Fijian company, and it's establishing a new network in Papua New Guinea with funding support from the Asian Development Bank. And they're rolling out a new network in Papua New Guinea under the Vodafone brand. They operate in six countries, so this is the seventh country that ATH is operating in. So that's a big development in Papua New Guinea, which is of course the largest market in the Pacific.
0: And and also um another big big one that's happened is is to do with Telstra in Fiji.
1: Yes. The Australian telecommunication company Telstra has taken ownership of digicels pacific arm which operates in six countries across the pacific islands region and that deal was brokered by the australian government under very favorable terms to telstra so telstra is taking a minimal amount of risk and will be able to make back its contribution to the purchase price first before it's required to pay back the australian government at quite favorable terms so the australian government included quite a lot of sweeteners in order to get this Australian company to buy DigiCell's Pacific Arm, which had been uh, obviously sort of up for sale.
0: And is that unusual, just that that level of, I guess, involvement from government?
1: Definitely. It's an enormous amount of money, and it is a very different thing compared to the way that the Australian government has operated previously.
0: Right. And are you able to, to comment on any of the, I guess, statements or or announcements that the government put out around those purchases?
1: Well, what I can say is that the Australian government was obviously very keen for the Australian telecommunication company Telstra to purchase Digicel's Pacific Arm, What's less clear is what this will mean for consumers in the six Pacific Island countries where Digicel operates. I think initially it will be business as usual. Uh, initially, they'll keep using the Digicel brand and indeed many of the staff and management in the six Pacific Island countries. So I think in the immediate term, it won't make any big difference for consumers in those countries. Uh, and it will be interesting to see whether in the longer term it means that services improve or decrease
0: um so going off on a tangent here like this sort of all sort of is is connected as well to that initial i guess not a row, but an initial issue that came up over i think it was at Huawei trying to build a submarine cable connecting PNG and Solomon Islands to Australia and that that been uh rejected taken over by Australia but also in terms of the the end user as as you've you've mentioned earlier the whole aim of this is to sort of get good communications to people in 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 remote places in these specific countries uh, is is all of this i guess my question is 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 all of this sort of competition and and leveraging and purchasing and that healthy for what people will experience on the ground
1: my understanding is that competition in a market is generally good because the consumer is likely to benefit. Because, for instance, if company A wants to try to get some of company B's customers to go over to company A, then it might lower its prices or offer free customer care or um, free t shirts or whatever it is that might lure the customers away from company B. So, in general, the consumer is likely to benefit if there's competition. In most small Pacific Island states, though, there isn't any competition. I think there are 13 states the last time I checked that have a telecommunication company monopoly. So therefore, in those places, the people in those places, if they want to use mobile phones, or if they want a landline phone for their house or office, or basically any telecommunication related service, they have to go through the one telecommunication company. So many people in Pacific Island countries don't really have a choice about which company they use. And if they don't like the services of that company, there's not much that they can do about it. With regard to the developments that we've been talking about, with many of them, I would say it's too early to tell whether they will have benefits for consumers or not. Uh, With regard to Huawei and cables, I think you're right to make the connection there. I think there's a very interesting connection between the fact that the Australian government, the United States of America... Canada, if I remember correctly, a whole long list of countries have banned Huawei equipment from their networks. And in Australia, it's uh, banned from the 5G network rollout, as well as from the national broadband network. And there's sanctions against Huawei and other Chinese telecommunication companies from the United States of America, and so on. And yet we have Huawei building the, uh, laying the domestic cable in Papua New Guinea, and now the... uh, Uh, new mobile phone towers in Solomon Islands and so on. So there is a difference between which countries are prepared to allow Huawei to operate and which are not because of concerns about, uh, in particular, cyber security.
0: A renowned New Zealand Samoan academic and community leader, Peggy Fairburn-Dunlop, is warning that the negative economic impacts of the pandemic... Are continuing to affect the education of Pacifica children in Aotearoa. Fairburn Dunlop was recently honoured with the absolutely positively Wellingtonian Award for her services to education and the Pacific community in Wellington. She says it's great that there are more opportunities for Pacifica students in New Zealand than ever before, but economic realities are forcing kids to leave school early to work and support their families. RNZ Pacific reporter, Whinau Funua, spoke with Peggy Fairburn-Dunlop and began by asking her how she felt about being honoured with her award.
2: Um, I guess um, I appreciate being honoured with a absolutely positively Wellingtonian award because uh, Wellington has been very good to our family since my parents migrated to New Zealand with uh, five children in the 1940s and me and my sister were born here in Wellington in our little house on the hill in Corburnie. So to get that sort of award, it was really good. Hmm.
3: And, uh, you know, I've been looking at your work in advocacy, um, you know, now in uh, 2022. How far do you think Pacifica have come?
2: That question has got many different aspects, I guess. Um, I think over the years and i have always been in education so i'll look at it from that point of view um over the years there are two things one thing is that for the first migrants in new zealand and probably for many pacific migrants today i guess our job was just to go to school and just learn everything which was said you know just to be educated as a palangi if you like to get good english to get a good job and the whole curriculum, uh, and everything we learnt was, was Pālāngi. There was very little Pacific, um, culture or very little Pacific songs or dances or Pacific words or even any study about the Pacific. When I was at primary school and when I was at secondary school and even at teachers college, uh, there wasn't much about the Pacific at all. It was, uh, a very much a Pālāngi-centered curriculum. So, if we look at it from that point of view, today there have been great changes, and and this is with the Maori as well, and with other ethnic groups coming to New Zealand. I think the the New Zealand educational curriculum is much wider for the inclusion of of other other knowledges in the textbooks. Um, yes, that's what I would say. Other knowledges is a much more. I hate to use the word tolerance. But I think there's more a realization that there are many ways of knowing and that uh, Pacific ways of knowing and being have just as much relevance in the lives of, of our learners as palangi or learning about China or learning about England have. I think I did a degree in history and one of those subjects was Tudor England. I did American history. I did those sorts of histories. And, and that was really, really Interesting because I was able to look at the way they did things, uh, their ideals and their practices, and then sort of compare it with our own Fatsa, so more in Pacific ways. So, have I answered your question?
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. Actually, you mentioned that, if I heard you correctly, you were around in, in the 40s and 50s?
2: Uh, well, that's when my parents migrated. Oh, 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 sorry. In I yeah. got it wrong. Yeah. Sorry. But, but you make a very important point then because if we look at the... So, first of all, I've talked about curriculum and the curriculum is more open, but that doesn't really mean that the teachers who are teaching in schools today um, understand the idea of cultural diversity or or other, other values. It still doesn't quite mean that. It doesn't mean that we've got all the the books and the materials and resources that would make the teaching of Pacific studies and the inclusion of Pacific examples in the curriculum, you know, that there's still a long way to go there, but the second point I wanted to make was that um, the Pacific parents of today, as well as the pupils are different, I mean most of them, you know, we're talking now about fourth and fifth and sixth generation migrants to New Zealand, aren't we, that um, And then we've got multi-ethnicity as well. Uh, So there are a lot of um, students and pupils and families in New Zealand who identify as as Pacific, but they're a totally different generation from the earlier ones. I think we've got quite a a feisty generation of Pacific parents now who are really um, arguing for their children to do well at school and starting to stand up and ask for that to happen. So there's sort of two things going on. I think New Zealand is starting to adopt a more um, informed attitude on cultural diversity and also we've got groups of Pacific parents who have had a good education themselves and who are joining the school boards and things like that and are really standing up to make sure that their children get a fair deal and do well at
3: school. Another question I have to ask, because you lived, um, you um, worked in Samoa for a while. Yeah. Um, mm. You know, it's Samoa independence, 60th independence year. And you came from the, the I guess, the second generation, someone's, um Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And mm. could you describe like how, how different it is how much New Zealand and Samoan, especially for the Samoan's diaspora in New Zealand, um, how far relations have progressed?
2: I think Samoa, New Zealand, Aotearoa, New Zealand has always had a very warm relationship with Samoa in a sense that, you know, going right back to the early days in the Treaty of Friendship, I think despite the fact that Samoa is not one of the countries of the realm, New Zealand has always been particularly good for Samoa in terms of aid and resources, those sorts of things. I think the relationship is healthy. Uh, I think it's even healthier when you think, when you take into account the fact that the that Fair Mayor, the Prime Minister, and the last Prime Minister, they were all educated in New Zealand, and so whatever sort of happens on the ground they also have that feeling of relationship rather than opposition. Mm.
3: And what's the biggest challenge now that you see with Pacifica in education?
2: Okay. Well, that's, that's pretty, pretty hard, especially in these times. I think in the last 10 years, the state of Pacific education or the status of Pacific education in New Zealand has increased tremendously. but covid has brought so many economic constraints which our pacific people have found it extremely hard and are still finding it extremely hard to deal with and if you're in samoa or if you're in fiji or anywhere in the pacific you know you would have your land behind you that you could grow your food uh you know you would have a house where you could live there would be you don't have those sorts of support systems. we don't have those sorts of support systems in New Zealand so we have the case of health vulnerability but also uh just the whole economic challenge of children students you know who are actually leaving school to go to work and get a job so that they can support the family so we guess, bottom line, is we're having breakups in the the pattern of education for, for many Pacific students in New Zealand. What used to be a pattern of, you know, you enrol in preschool and then you sort of go right through. We just, there are just, due to economic constraints and health constraints, there are just too many breaks in that pattern to ensure that our children, that all of our children you know, enjoy uh, a strong and robust educational experience. And that's that's the issue.
0: That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcast. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Luke out so next time more.